Uh, tonight is like Boima. Mamish Moitzoy Shabbos is like Boima. So I thought, therefore, <coughs> it would be appropriate to give a share about like Boima. Um, <coughs> it's interesting, you know, just the way it's celebrated is with a huge bonfire. <coughs> and um, uh, so what I'd like to go into actually is to resolve certain questions which I think really in, in many ways the answers of which would highlight what Lag Boima is really about. I, I think most people are into Lag Boima, just into Lag Boima there. I think most people don't really understand the tremendous hashkofa uh, significance of Lag Boima, you know. So the, there are several questions. First of all, why is it celebrated with a bonfire? You know, and they're huge, you know, they, they're trying to make it as big as possible. So that's the first question you can ask. Another question is, <clears throat> um, we, no we notice that <clears throat> there are only two individuals whose yacht sites are celebrated or commemorated by hundreds of thousands of people. And that's Rochelimenu, right? Which is, occurs on Yudal of Cheshvan, and Rabshim Bayechoi which occurs on Yutches Iyo, which is like Boimah. One, uh, Rochli Menu is, is, an, is a name. You know, she's a, uh, uh, as I say, she's a matriarch. You know, <clears throat> but why her? Oh, no other of or aim of the Jewish people is celebrated. You know, so there are thousands and thousands of people <coughs> on Yudal of Cheshman that go to her cavern in Eretz Yisrael. Rab Shimon is a Tano. He's one of the people, obviously, one of the great Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva. And, uh, but he's a Tano. Is that enough? Why all of a sudden is, is everybody celebrating Rab Shimon for a long time? And we're not, I think the meaning to go back goes back a couple hundred years, but it doesn't go back further than that. Uh, so why Rab Shimon? What is the significance about Rab Shimon Bayechoi that, you know, a half a million people are going to his uh, Kever in Merom, uh, this uh, this uh, Lag Boima. Oh, it's about a half a million people. I remember when I went, I you know when I was there so a long time ago. I had gone. I think there was only like what was it? Maybe a thirty or forty thousand people. You know, it's more than forty years ago. And today's <coughs> expecting more than a half a million people. That's a lot of people. And the question is, <clears throat> why are they uh, all going? You know, I mean, they have their, each one has their own individual reasons or whatever, you know. But the question is, what does it mean in, in terms of the Hashkofa that Rab Shimon Baichoi's yacht site is commemorated by so many Jews? Not so much what's on their mind, but what's in the air, so to speak. What can it signify? So those are the questions that I'd like to answer. And uh, in, in the end, really, what I think is very good news, why this is happening. So that's what I want to try to answer tonight. What is the significance of like Boyman? Why are these two people, the only two people, really, that are uh, commemorated and celebrated? We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. Why these two? And certainly, I think, why is it growing? Certainly, Barak Shimbayichoy. It's growing tremendously, you know. So that's the question. Uh, in order to understand really what's happening today with Rabbi Shimon uh, and also with Rochali Menu, we have to understand something. We have to go back to understand a certain, very uncertain, very important phenomena of Judaism. What is that phenomena? There's a concept called the Orishim, which is a messianic light. That is a very hidden commodity. Very. What exactly is the Orishan? We have to understand that. What is, what is it really? And it's funny because the, the whole Bria, the whole creation, is waiting for that Orishan, for that messianic light. But what is it when it comes? <clears throat> and the idea to the Orishan is really the concept called total knowledge. You see, Whenever you see something happen, an event, 
then what we realize is that that event happens. But what's the cause of that event? Why does it happen? Everything has ultimately some type of cause. And the question is, what is the connection between the immediate event that we see, the phenomena itself, and the cause of that phenomena? Most of reality is concealed from us. We don't really see. <clears throat> you know, uh, we don't see what the connections are in many of the ways. But, and it's not only true of the physical world. We don't know. Nobody, people, nobody knows what gravity really is. There are theories, Einstein and so on. You know? But there's an enormous amount of concepts which are concealed, even from scientists. And science, of course, is busying itself trying to figure it out. And then, of course, because of that insight, they can change enormous amount of civilization. But when you look at the Jewish world, when you look at the Torah, we have almost absolutely no insight as the cause. All the mitzvahs that we do, we don't really know why, why, what the connection is between the mitzvah itself and the ultimate cause. We don't know why. When somebody puts on fillin, we don't know what happens. We put it on. The halachic requirements, right? It's got to be black, and so on. You know, all the halachas that are engaged in film, or mezuzah, or shchito, any of these things. You know, uh, <clears throat> why? What does it all mean? We don't see any result from the mitzvahs we do in terms of the mitzvah itself. We don't see the connection. You see, so therefore, we don't know why they're necessary. We believe they're necessary. We believe that they are part of what we need to do, clearly because the Muslim commanded us to do, but we have no understanding of what the action of a mitzvah is, really. So really we lack an understanding of reality. Because a mitzvah is not just a commandment of God. It is something that connects to reality. Something happens in reality. It's not just that we do the will of God when we do a mitzvah, you see. There is something that ties this mitzvah, this action that we do, to an ultimate place in reality. It happens to be that we do it because there's a commandment, a tzivoy, you see. So when we do the mitzvah, we fulfill his commandment. Not only that, we make him happy because we, we are observing his commandments. So Bansham has what's called a nachas ruach, a simcha, a happiness. Not only that, we ourselves benefit from it. But the question is, what, is, what happens in reality? We don't know. Would we ever know? And the answer is, of course. What the messianic light is, the <coughs> Mashiach, is the revelation of total reality. It's when we will see the true cause, origin, of every mitzvah, how it connects to reality, how it connects to all the spiritual dimensions, domains, what will happen, and so on. That is an incredible insight, and that's what happens in the, in the concept called the Orishan, the first light, which is also called the messianic light, it's called the concealed light, the Oragonas, but that's what happens, a total understanding of reality, you see, from the beginning to the end. Therefore, ultimately speaking, that's really what the Rebbe wants to do in the end. He wants to show us how everything we did actually interfaced, interconnected with reality itself. What well, is an arbitrary commandment that we should do? But even on that we receive reward because we have listened to God. But what he wants to show us is much more, you see, that all of the mitzvahs are predicated on some aspect of reality, and when we did the mitzvah, we actually changed or influenced some aspect of reality, which for us benefited us tremendously. That's a whole different understanding, you know. It's like in the olden days, you know. <clears throat> you know, they would see lightning and thunder. Why is there lightning and thunder? They had no idea. So people made up all kinds of fancy excuses. But today we know what lightning and thunder is. Sound waves, light, the difference between the charge between the earth and the sky, positive and negative, you know, all of a sudden releases an incredible amount of electrons. I mean, this is all known today, you see? But 2,000 years ago, nobody had any idea why you have lightning and thunder. 
And you have the other millions of different phenomena that happens. <clears throat> Therefore, what the, the oration really is, the messianic light, is an understanding of total reality. And I want to tell you something. It's not just reality of the mitzvahs, which we are completely, basically oblivious to. It is the reality of science also. The entire, the entire reality, physical reality, is explained by that oration. All of it. Science, whatever that be. Physics, chemistry, biology, it doesn't make a difference. And then, of course, there's Torah, all the halachas, all the shukhanach. Everything is explained. And not only is that explained, every historical event is explained too. You see. Who are the Jews? Why are they going? You know, why the Holocaust happened? All the why is there 2,000 years of exile? And so on. All of the events. And it's not only national, it's also personal. Your personal life will be revealed. Why everything that happened to you happened. What was the cause? <clears throat> you see. That's a lot of information. Right? It's an incredible amount of information. But it will happen. All of it is assumed under the title called the Orishan. Messianic light, you see. <clears throat> so therefore what the messianic light fundamentally is, it is a disclosure of an enormous amount of information, right, that will happen, that is an explanation of total reality. It's the best way to, to, to say it, you see. So as such, it's not another Torah. It's Torah revealed at a different level. Got it? That's really what it is, and so on. How pervasive will it be? Will it be? Enormous. And the famous Pasuk in the Novi, because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters, as the waters covers the seabed. So therefore the sins which are, so therefore the amount that the, these, the lights of the spheres change to water, right, is proportionate to the amount of sins that people did. So it's interesting that Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato says that if you want to know the relationship or the proportion between the sins and the messianic light, which is really what should have happened, then just compare the ark, Teva, the volume of the Teva, Teva to the volume of the water on the planet after the marble. I mean, it's absurd. We're talking about water that rose and rose, right? And uh, it wasn't just the seas, but the water rose to enormous height. So if you calculate all the water that rose to that height and look at it as a, a proportional ratio to the volume of the ark, it's, it's, like, it's like the ark was like maybe point oh 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 one. That's all the amount of, 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 of um, righteousness that was available. And the rest was all chatoim, sins. And therefore the water was overwhelming. You see the proportion. The amount of water equals the amount of sinning done. Because that's the amount of all messianic light that had to be changed to water. Which obviously is staggering. <clears throat> you see. And that's really what, the reason why the Bansham destroyed the earth. Because in that climate where you have such incredible evil, there's no b'chir left. There's no free will left. In other words, you may have free will, but the options, right? If 99.9999% if that option is evil and the amount of good that's available to choose is 0.00001, well, what are you going to do? There's no Bechira. That's not Bechira. When the overwhelming uh, tendency is to do evil, it's over with. That's why the Marshall had to destroy the world. Because the world cannot exist with such an overwhelming force of evil as opposed to, so, so, as opposed to an underwhelming force, if there's such a word, of good. That's why he destroyed the world. So when the Marshall, when the marble ended, the Marshall, interesting, he said, no longer will I ever destroy the world that way. I will no longer destroy the world that way. And the reason why that's so interesting is that in order to do that, the Bershom changed something. Because in the beginning, when there's free will, right? So then, hey, you do what you want. I'm not going to stop you. 
means if you guys go, go, want to go along and destroy the whole planet, your deal. That's fair. Means you give me free will, let me do what I want. So if a, the world wants to be thoroughly evil, which it basically became, so they have the right to be thoroughly evil. But what that resulted in was the destruction of the planet. So what the Bonshim did after the Mabal, when he swore that he wouldn't do it again, what he really did is that he said, you guys can only destroy up to 90%. 10% you can't destroy. In other words, even your free will cannot destroy 10% of good. Uh, you, you there has to be at least 10% of good left. And therefore, I don't have to destroy the world. That's really what changed, you see. So what he did is he limited <clears throat> the consequences of your action. That you cannot wipe out the world anymore. Yeah, there are different local places that can do it. You know, that's true. He could bring a marble on what he did to Egypt, or he did to all, what he called, uh, who? Yeah, well, it, well, Sodom was a fire and brimstone. But what he did to, uh, what he called the uh, hurricane, what's the? Sandy. Not Sandy. Uh, well, Sandy was also. Katrina. Katrina, yeah. That was really a mini marble. People don't realize that. Who? Yeah, yeah, that, uh, well, that was an earthquake. Yeah, then you had the tsunami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so every once in a while, the Russian shakes up the planet, brings a tsunami, which is really a mini marble. That's really what it is. Don't, don't fool yourself, you know. It's a mini marble, destroys different parts, because they have obviously put so much evil there that the Russian says enough is enough. But he won't destroy the planet, so he limited the amount of free will, which is very interesting. You see, where else? Today... If, we have, if man had the free will today to do what he wants, right? The amount of evil today, you know? You wouldn't even have the teva. You have a rowboat. You know, you have to put all the animals in the rowboat. <laughs> that, that's where we'd be left, so forget it. The Muslim saved the world by doing that, you know? But in any case, we now understand what the marble was in, by Noyach. <clears throat> what the flood was, the marble, <clears throat> is what? It was the Orishan, the messianic light, that should have come down in his day, right? It was changed to water, a water analog, right? Which is what uh, uh, the messianic light becomes from top to bottom and so on and destroyed the entire world. And we now understand what the marble uh, was and, and what the Bansham did to stop any future destructions of the planet. You see... <clears throat> Well, this is a very important idea, which most people are not aware of what the marble really was. And if you remember, did I say this on the Pesach show? The whole job of Moshe Rabbeinu was to undo the marble. You see, I'm going to throw that in. Moshe Rabbeinu was called Moshe. Why? Because Moshe means from the water, I withdrew him from the water. You see? Why was he called that? Because the job, Moshe Rabbeinu was a Gilgul of Noach. That's the Ari says. Right? And Noach failed to stop the marble because he never, he never, what he called, um, he never warned the generation sufficiently. You see, so that was a big chasson in Noach. So Moshe Rabbeinu, the Ari says, is a Gilgal of Noach that came back to do what? To stop the marble. Because that's what he failed to do. Well, how did he stop the marble? And that's why it's called Moshe, right? To draw them out of the water. Where was the marble in the time of Moshe? Kriyas Yamsuf. The splitting of the Red Sea. That really was the marble. That was the marble that wiped out Egypt. You see? But when the Jews walked in, it split. So therefore that was the undoing of the marble. You see? So when the Jews walked in, what Moshe had done is that the marble could not destroy the Jews. You see? That was the undoing of the marble for them. But for the Egyptians, it resumed being what it was, which is a flood, and wiped them all out. See, that's why since the marble did not destroy the Jews in Kriya Samsev, that's why you had a Kriya Samsev. It wasn't by accident. It was meant to symbolize that the flood was rectified, was corrected. So Moshe Rabbeinu lived up to his, his, his uh, purpose and so on, you know. And of course, at Har Sinai, they received the Orishan, which is the first tablets, the Luchas Rishonis. You see, that's why the marble couldn't destroy it, because they had succeeded in restoring those elemental ten spheres to produce the marble. Great. So we now have enough material to understand Lag Boimah. See, you needed this as an introduction.
Now, let's take a look. When was the Mabal supposed to happen? Right? Well, let's check out the flood. When was the flood supposed to happen? Because we know that the flood in the time of Noach is the messianic light turned to water. So the question then is, when was the Mabal supposed to happen? Right? Which would have been the Orishim. And the answer is, Yud Aleph Cheshvan. That's when it was supposed to come down. On the 11th day of Cheshvan. What happened on that day? It didn't come down. It came down on the 18th of Cheshvan. Why? Because if you remember, Mr. Shalach died on the 11th day of Cheshvan. Right? So Boshim didn't want, because he was such an incredible tzaddik, Right? So he allowed people to mourn for the death of Mr. Shalach for seven days. That's a shiva. And when that day was over, he brought the marble. So the marble was postponed for seven days because of the death of Mr. Shalach. But when you think about it, the real day that the marble happened, should have happened, which is really the messianic light that should have come down, is the 11th day of Cheshvan. You see? Who died on the 11th day of Cheshvan? Rachel. There you are. What does Rachel mean? What does that mean, signify? Because Rachel is part of the redemption. We know that from the Novi, right? He says, the Bershom says to Rachel, you know, hold back your tears. You know, your children will come back to their, to their borders and so on and so forth. Rachel Imenu is part of the Geula itself. In fact, the reason why she died in Beis Lechem on the 11th day of Cheshvan <coughs> was why? Was in order to that the Jewish people when they were exiled by Nebuchadnezzar they passed by her grave on the way to Babylon Bavel. <coughs> and so she died on that day at that spot so when the Jews passed by they will pray to Rochel Imenu to save them and there's an incredible medrash <coughs> that Rochel saved them See, and that what that meant is an incredible message where <coughs> it says that the Jews were going to Babylon and they were finished. There was no redemption. For all the sins that they did with the loss of the ten tribes, you know, and so on. They have the Zara of Menashe and so on. But in any case, so what happened was is they prayed to Rochel. And because of that prayer, that instigated or enabled her to stand in front of the Bezdom. There's all Medrash on that. The whole, what happened on that, Besden? Everybody was a who's who, as they say in Judaism, try to defend the Jews. Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron. It was just incredible. Shmuel you know? But nobody could defend them. See, the Bershom said no, because the judgment is they must be exiled permanently or whatever for who knows how many years. So Rachel <clears throat> came in front of the, the court and she said, I want to pronounce, I want to defend the Jews. So what was her defense? She said, look, <clears throat> when I was supposed to marry Yaakov Avinu, right? What happened, right? My sister Leah, she was incredibly depressed and distraught, broken, because she was really supposed to marry Esau. And Esau is a Russia, right? So what I did is something which is incredible. I walked over, now Yaakov gave me simonim, signs, you know, code words, that I should say to him under the chuppah, so he'll know it's me. Why? Because Yaakov knew that Lovel is going to try to switch the girls, which is, of course, what he did, right? Because that Lovel was the, you know, the real character, you know? So Yaakov said to Rochel, listen, if he tries to do this, you know, I'm going to ask you, pss, pss, what's the code, right? Means, you know, and if you tell me the code, then I know it's you, you know, and we get married. If you don't answer me, I know he switched, it's over with, right? So what did Rachel do? Rachel goes over to Leah and says, listen, we both know what, our, what dad is going to do, and so on. So what happened? So she gave the code words to Leah. Leah goes under the chuppah, which of course is what Lovin did, and Yaakov says, no, no, what's the code? So Leah told him the code. You see? Because she, she knew it because Rachel told her. So of course, he therefore married Leah, 
And it was only in the morning that he found out it was Leah and, and the whole thing, you know, exploded. And, and so on, okay. So here's what Rachel said, an incredible defense. She said the following, she said, listen, I'm not coming to you, Mitzadin, in terms of the law. Because according to the law, you're right, God. And nobody can beat that. Whatever the, whatever the accounting, the reckoning is, that's the law. But I'm not coming for that. <clears throat> what I did was incredible. Why? Because what I did is I gave the codes to my sister Leah, and therefore she married Yaakov. Now, you have an idea what kind of risk that was? Because Yaakov could have said to me, how dare you do that? You, you're a co-conspirator to make me miserable or to destroy my whole purpose, which is to marry and have Shvatim, right? So therefore, I don't want to marry you. You're out, right? I mean, imagine you're marrying a girl and you wind up with some other girl under the chuppah because your intended bride, right, revealed the secrets. Hey, that, that, that's, that's called the ultimate breach of trust, right? And that's the worst thing in a marriage, you see. When you lose trust in a spouse, marriage is basically over. But it's very hard to restore trust, which can happen in many, many ways. But in any case, that's what she said. So I took an incredible risk. You see, he could have rejected me. Not only that, whoever heard of a woman giving up her husband or her future husband to her rival, Leah? Whoever heard of something like that? So therefore, why did I do it? Because I felt terrible for Leah, because I realized her position. And therefore, I had Rachmanus on Leah. I had incredible compassion for her situation. So I put myself in an unbelievable risk. Jeopardized my... Imagine what that could have meant if Yaakov would have said to her, Hey, I don't want to know you anymore. That means she would not be an aim, a mother in Klai's world. She would have lost a status which is unparalleled to be a matriarch in Klai's world. There would be no Rachel. It would be just Leah and that's it. So look at what she risked. Fortunately, Yaakov, of course, did not do that for whatever. <clears throat> whatever. So she said to God, listen, I gave up everything for Rachmanus. So therefore, what I'm asking you is that Mitzar Haddin, according to the law, you're right. They cannot be redeemed for who knows how long. Uh, but I'm saying on the merit that I was compassionate. What is mercy or compassion? It is the suspension of justice. So therefore, I ask you to suspend the judgment, the justice, and redeem them. And that taina, that claim was so incredibly powerful that God said, fine. They will go into exile for 70 years. And after 70 years, I will redeem them. And that's, uh, so therefore, that's what happened, you see. <clears throat> so therefore, Rochel saved the Jews and redeemed the Jews. Without that, it's still, who knows how many years after that we be in Golis. So Hotaina saved the Jewish people and therefore redeemed them, you see. And therefore Rochel is part of the redemption. Therefore, she dies on Yorav Cheshman in order for the Jews to do that, so she be, she, they should be redeemed. But remember, she died on Yorav Cheshman because that is a day of the redemption, isn't it? Because that's the day of the Orishan. Okay, it was turned to water, but really it should have been the messianic light. So her death occurred on the very day of the messianic light's revelation, and that's exactly what she did. She redeemed them. So Rachel, the Jewish people, realized that she is a pivotal player in the Geul of Klai Yisrael. Rachel Imenu, you see. Important, okay? So we now understand the, the, the importance of that, you know, and so on. <clears throat> so therefore, Yud Aleph Cheshven, and maybe that's why Yud Aleph Cheshven doesn't have a Yom uh, does not have a Yom Tov. Why? Because every, Jew, every month, Jewish month has a holiday. The only one that has nothing is Cheshven. Why? Because since the Orishan, the Messianic light, should have happened in Cheshven, think about that, Therefore, in Cheshun, maybe, maybe there's a tremendous presence. Or maybe that's when the Messianic light will be revealed again. You see? And therefore, the f and that will be celebrated million times more than every of the Yontif. 
In other words, in the end result, Cheshvan will have a Yom Tov called the Redemption, right? And that will be celebrated more than every other month. So maybe in order to compensate for that, it doesn't have anything now. Because what it will have will be awesome. You see? Great. Now. He does? That's interesting. The new base image will be built for Cheshman. It says that's the Yom Tov. Ah, very good. Okay. So I was um, okay, <clears throat> now if you think about it, um, I, I, I personally have a, a, connect, a, a what's called a Nagius. I have something connected to that Yud Al Cheshman because that's my birthday. It's Yud Al Cheshman, so I'm I'm biased. You know, I was born on Yud Al Cheshman, so you know, wow, well, whatever that means. But anyway, <clears throat> so um, so we understand now what Yud Al we understand the marble. Rochli Menum, why she died there. But the real reason is because that day signifies the re release of the Orishim. Fine. Now, there is an argument between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua. Which day was the world, not uh, the world was created, but which day is uh, the day that Adam Rishim was created? Because that's really what it is. So Rabbi Eliezer says that Tishrei, that the month of Tishrei, Adam Rishim was created on Aleph Tishrei. And the world was therefore created six days before, whatever. But Rebbe Leezer says that the world was created in Tishrei. And therefore, when the, so therefore the Torah says that the marble happened in the second month on the 18th day, or the 17th day, right? And that is when the marble happened. Because the second month after Tishrei is Cheshvan. But Rebbe Yeshua says no. That really the world was created in Nisan. Interesting. Aleph Nisan is when the world was created, or rather, Adam Rishon was created, right? And then the world was created six days before that, which would be Chafei Ador. <coughs> In any case, so therefore, according to his reckoning, the marble, marble happened on when? Eeyore. It happened on Eeyore, right? According to him, right? But it didn't happen on Yud Aleph Eeyore, because we know, you know, it happened on, right? But it happened on Yud Ches Eeyore. What is Yud Ches Eeyore? Like Boima. Is it not? Right, like Boima. That's tonight. How do you move from Yud Aleph to Yud Ches? Because the marble action in Cheshvan never happened on Yud Aleph. It happened in Yes, yeah, yeah. No, but so obviously once that happens, it leaves what's called a Roshim. Mm -hmm. You know, that means it's a day which is also a Sugal, which is also propitious for the Orishim. Because once it comes out that day, that leaves a mark on that day. You see, so therefore, what happens? Therefore, in the 18th day of Eeyor, uh, which is today, like Boima, tonight and so on, right? right? According to him, that's when the marble happened. You see, so if that's the case, that means the Orishan was released when? It was released on the 18th day of Eeyor. Because the water is the analog of that messianic light. Isn't that interesting? Who died on Yud Ches Iyo? Rab Shimon. What does Rab Shimon have to do with the Messianic light? Because you can connect them now. Because think about, remember what is the Messianic light? Remember what I said? The old reason is a revelation of total reality, right? What's total reality? The interface or the connection between the spiritual worlds, right, and the physical universe in every which way. But wait a minute, do we have such a study about that today? The answer is yes. That's Kabbalah. Kabbalah really, if I had to term it, is really surface messianic light. Because Kabbalah is the study of what? Of the spiritual domain of reality that connects God to the physical universe. It's a study of the entire spiritual domain. All the components of that domain, how they interact, the spheres. And, and so on and so forth, and the various different ways of the, the divine manifestation, right? The study of the angels, all the alumnus. Uh, that's what Kabbalah is, nothing more than a study, right? Of the spiritual structure of the creation. And that's what Kabbalah is. But the amount of Kabbalah that we know is very little. So therefore, the Kabbalah is really surface messianic light. It's really what it is. You see. Which is interesting, you know.
What? It's okay. <clears throat> How do we see this? Moshe Rabbeinu, when he went up, uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu gave the, um, he broke the luchas, he broke the uh, tablets. So God said to him, the Hashem said to him, Yashkoyach, congratulations. What? What do you mean congratulations? How did Moshe Rabbeinu know that he was allowed to break the luchas? How did he do that? You know, when the Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu the first tablets, the luchas, he was supposed to bring them to Klai Yisrael, right? If Klai Yisrael doesn't deserve it, so what do you do with the luchas? You give it back to God. You don't break it. You know, if, you, if somebody gives you a gift to give to somebody else, right? Because the guy's going away, right? I give you a gift. I'm going away, so do me a favor. Bring this to Reuven, right? So you bring it, so I leave, right? And you go to Reuven, you knock on his door. and say, I have something for Reuven. So his wife answers and says, oh, I'm sorry, Reuven is not here. You know, or whatever. So what do I do? I take the gift, I throw, you, you take the gift and put it in the garbage? Excuse me, excuse me. You wait till I come back and you give me back my gift. You don't throw it in the garbage. Yes? So the question then is, Moshe Rabbeinu is supposed to give this Lucas Rishonis, these tablets, to the Jewish people. So what does he do? He shatters it at the bottom of the mountain. Okay, fine. You don't want to give it to the Jewish people? Fine. Because whatever, they're not deserving of it, right? So you tell God, excuse me, I can't give it to them, they're not around. Take it back. Why didn't he do that? It's astounding. So not only did he not do that, he shattered it. And God said, Yashkoyach, congratulations. Wow, how did he know this? Good question. And what was the significance that Moshe Rabbeinu broke it? Why didn't he give it back? Not only because that's appropriate to do with a gift that you can't give to the receiver. What, what is behind? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was an incredible leader. And you always have to know the politics in heaven, if I may use that word. What does that mean? You have to know the anhoga of God. You know, if you're leading the Jewish people, you have to know how to represent the Jewish people to God. If not, you have big problems. So Moshe Rabbeinu knew, what is this Luchas Rishonis? What are these first tablets? The first tablets is the Messianic light. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is real the Mashiach ben Yosef. And he's supposed to be ushered in the Messianic era and give it to the Jewish people, you see. So God gives him the Luchas Rishonis, the first tablets. And that's what he's supposed to do. And all of a sudden, God says to him, excuse me, Lech Raid, you need to go down because your nation has corrupted themselves. Which means you can't give it to them. Because these Messianic light is so powerful, if you give it to them, in their state of sinning, it will kill them. Because that's what happens when you take too much Kedusha and you're not ready for it. You see. So that's what, uh, uh, so the Bansham says, uh, I'm sorry, they corrupted themselves. Go down. Wait a minute. Why didn't God say, give it back to me? Because at that point in time, already he knew that they could not receive it. You see? So what he should have said right then and there, because he was talking to God, okay, I got your point, take it back. But the Bosham never asked for it back. You see? Because at that point in time, it's not that he found out that the receiver's not home later on. He knew then that he couldn't give it while he was talking to God. And the answer is because the Bosham never told him. So Moshe understood God does not want it back. I don't want it back. You figure out what to do. So Moshe Rabbeinu had this incredible dilemma. What should I do? See, if I give it back to God, I, I can say, God, listen, they're not going to get it, so take it back. That means that the Jews will never have any insight into Kabbalah, into the spiritual worlds at all until the Mashiach comes. But that's terrible. At the same time, I can't give it to the Jews because if I give it to them, it'll kill them. So I will compromise. I will bring it down and smash it, shatter it. So therefore, what did the Jews do with the pieces of the Luchas Rishonis? They took those pieces and they put it in the Oren, right behind, right, the second tablets. So what's the benefit? Because <clears throat> since the Jews have the first tablets, they have it, therefore, the Shefa, 
the incredible spirituality of that <clears throat> will still remain with the Jews. They can have some kind of connection to it. But they can't read it because it's shattered. So what would have killed them is if they can read it. Then they would have understood that ore and would have killed them. But the fact that it's in the, the ore in itself and they, it's in their possession automatically allows them to have some type of connection. And that connection is Kabbalah. You see, that is the Orishan, but it's surface. And all, we can only have that, and that was the brilliance of Moshe Rabbeinu. How he, uh, so we still have a connection to the Messianic light. <coughs> but it's not enough to kill us. <coughs> so therefore, <coughs> and that's why God said, Yashikoyach, congratulations. Because you knew I didn't want it back, and I didn't want it back. Because I felt the same way you do. But I left it up to you to figure out the compromise. So I'm glad you did that. That at least the Jews have some type of connection with this incredible uh, hasoga of a comprehension of a divine, of, of, of the divine light. You see? Even though they can't read it, okay. And of course, they are able to survive. <clears throat> Therefore, we have access to it, but we don't have it that we can understand. So we survive. But that access to it <clears throat> is what allows us to have Kabbalah. That's what does it, you see. So Rabbi Shimon dies on when? Yud Ches, the 18th day of year. <clears throat> Why? Because that was the day of the Orishim. But wait a minute. He died on that day. Why? Because what he had done was given the Kabbalah to the Jewish people, you see. And that's part of the undoing of the Mabal. By giving the Kabbalah to the Jewish people, right? And the, the death on that day signifies that he had given the Orishan, at least in its surface stage, to the Jewish people. You see? That's really what his mission was. So therefore, he had undone the marble. You see? And not only that, his death happened on the day of Yudches when the marble happened. So therefore, the marble happened which is really the messianic light, he dies on that day to show that he gave the messianic light, not in its water form, right, but in its messianic form, you see. And therefore, what, what that meant, of course, is that, um, uh, um, th therefore he died on that day. And that also answers a question. Rabbi Shimon said to his son, it says in the Chazal that in the time of Rabbi Shimon there was no rainbow. Why? Why wasn't there a rainbow? Because a rainbow was to tell God not to destroy the world. Yes? So Rabbi Shimon's contribution was a, why? Because the world is evil and therefore they cannot have the messianic light. It'll only be in the terms of flood. But Rabbi Shimon introduced Kabbalah the Zoya and so on, right? And therefore, Rabbi Shimon was masaking the marble. He rectified the marble. So then if that's the case, there's no water, there's messianic light, at least on its surface. So then what do you need a rainbow for? God doesn't need a rainbow because he's not going to destroy the world. Why? Because the flood had a tikkun. It had a rectification. Isn't that interesting? See the way it works? <coughs> and that's why in, in his day, <coughs> There was no rainbow because there was no necessity for it because Rabbi Shimon, introducing the Kabbalah, brought a tikkun, obviously, uh, rectification for the whole concept of the marble, the messianic light, in the form of water. And that's why there was no rainbow. Very interesting, isn't it? And so on, you know. Uh, and therefore, Rabbi Shimon dies on that day. Now that we understand that, we understand in many ways like Bohemia. Why do the Jews celebrate these two people because there's a famous statement in the Gemara if the Jews are not prophets but they are the sons or the children of prophets what does that mean? this was said in a whole story with Hillel and um, um, Pesach um, the question then was uh, you know if uh, Erev uh, er Pesach falls out on Shabbos or whatever so what do you do? you have to shech the Korban Pesach you have to slaughter the Korban Pesach so the question is, you can't carry a knife, you know, to the base of Migdash. So what are they going to do? So Hillel said, listen, we don't know. They, but the Bnei Beserov, actually, they were the Gedolim uh, then. So we don't remember. But let's take a look at what the Jews do. 
Because if they're not prophets, somehow they're going to figure out, right? Because they have the concept of prophecy in them. So they have a divine gift of being able to prophesy or know what to do. And all of a sudden they saw that they took the knife and they connected it to the sheep. So the sheep were carrying the knife. Whatever. Uh, so that's a famous statement. They may not be prophets, but they are the children of prophets. And therefore they have the gift of prophecy, even though it's very, very mild. Uh, so that's the same concept. Why the Jews celebrate Rachel and, and Rabbi and, and Shimon. Why? Because Rachel, they go, because she is the redemption. Everybody knows claw like that, right? And therefore they go to pray that the Mashiach should come. So therefore Rachel Imenu is tied to the whole redemption process. What about Rabbi Shimon? Somehow the Jews know that Rabbi Shimon is connected also to the redemption process. Even they don't know why. But we know why. Because Rabbi Shimon unfolded what? The messianic light in the firm form of surface Kabbalah, you see? And therefore, if that's the case, so Rab Shimon represents what? The messianic light. So therefore, they celebrate Rab Shimon because he's also, in a certain sense, he, he, he rectified the marble, right? He brought down the surface of the, the messianic light. So therefore, <clears throat> he is part of that gilui revelation of that light. And that's why they have bonfires. Because it's ore, isn't it? It's the light of what? That bonfire really represents the messianic light. You see, even though those guys who are lighting it don't know, uh, but that's really what the light is. It represents the messianic light, and the Jews intuitively know, you see, <clears throat> that you have to go to Rabbi Shimon and, and be mispal and celebrate because that man's Kabbalah is what it's all about eventually. You see, and it's interesting, you know, the Pasuk says, and the world will be filled with the knowledge of God, which is what? Which is the messianic light, as the waters covers the earth. You see, what do you mean the waters cover the earth? So not only does it tell how pervasive, but water is the analog of the knowledge of God, which is the messianic light, isn't it? Right? So the amount of light is equal to the amount of water, because when the light is in the analog called water, it covers the earth. Almost the Pasuk Marama is that. Interesting, you know? So therefore, that's why. And I believe that there's more and more people going to Rabbi Shimon. You know? And, and there's a half million people there. But right now, actually, it's, uh, it's certainly seven hours ahead in there. It's thrilled, you know? And they're going the whole night. I mean, you have Rebbe's going there. You have lights. It's, it's like a whole, you know, Chad Gadio, what can I tell you? It's enormous what goes on there. You see? And why more people? Because I believe, same concept, that the Jewish people know something, even if they don't know it. They know it unconsciously, even if they don't know it consciously. And what's that? That the Mashiach is about to arrive. So there's more and more Jews that are connecting with that incredible prophecy, even if be un, un, um, uh, even if be unconscious. Uh, and therefore, more and more Jews are taking part in the incredible revelation, Giloi, of this messianic light, which is celebrated, celebrated uh, through the bonfire that is uh, part of the, the whole celebration of Rav Shimbayichoy. So, we now have all the questions answered. See, what, why these two people? Because they're both connected with the messianic light, and they're both connected to when the marble happened, which was the analog, physical analog of the Orishim, you see, so they both have something to do. Rochel, because she died on that day, right? And Rabbi Shimon, right? Because it happened on that day, according to Rabbi Yeshua. So therefore, these two people represent the redemption, the messianic light, which is the key to the redemption, you see. And as a result of that, uh, the Jews, more and more people are going. And, um, uh, and really what it is, like Boim is really a, a yontif of, um, of, of Mashiach. That's really what it is. You see, and maybe that's why everybody's got this tremendous drive to light the fires and so on. I, I find it interesting that it's raining outside now. So is that the physical analog of the Orishan that's turned to water? <laughs> right? Interesting. So I'm wondering, you know, but it's going to stop, which means the physical, and maybe that's why it started. Kabosh wants to say, until now, I think it will stop. Until now, it was water. That was the messianic light, right? Because that's its analog. You know, so it 
for the whole Shabbos, right? But now by Lag Boim it's going to stop because what the Bonisham is saying, by the way, that the Messianic light has now been turned from water, which is the rain, into the ore itself, and therefore you can go ahead and light. Who knows? Maybe that's the reason for what's been happening today and so on, you know? Uh, but in any case, uh, Lag Boim is a Messianic holiday, really, that's really what it is. And Kleinsville knows that unconsciously. And that's why they go to Rochli Menu, and they, of course, go to Rabbi Shimon. And let's hope that, uh, that, that it's true, that uh, there will be a Messianic light very shortly, and so on, you know. Um, let's hope that that's that going to happen, you know, uh, and so on. Uh, for like Boehm and so on, you know. Yeah. Any questions? Well, is, how is this... Yeah. So we're saying we're celebrating Rabbi Shimon because of um, because he represents the messianic light. What did he do? For, did he do something for us? Yeah. No. No. Kabbalah. So. So. Zoya. So what did that do sure. for us? That allows us to touch the Arishon when we. When it allows us to study Kabbalah. So it allows us to touch the Arishon. Yeah, because Zoya is the fundamental textbook of of Kabbalah. It, it, you know, it's, it revealed to us the Kabbalah and allows us to study. So why is it, you know? why are we celebrating Rabbi Shimon more than let's say? Moshe Rabbeinu who gave us the Torah, Rabbi Rabbeinu who kicked the whole, kicked off, kicked off, kicked off the whole. Because Rabbi Shimon gave us the Zoya, right? right? So that indicates, right, that the the Kabbalah itself can now be revealed. So the first phase or stage of the revelation was Rabbi Shimon Zoya, because he, uh, when it came to Rabbi Shimon, finally you were allowed to reveal the Kabbalah, which means that there was a great tikkun, rectification of the original marble. So he's, so basically so he's, he's the, the forerunner, he's the, the beginning. He's the forerunner of the, of the Taras Mashiach. Correct, exactly. That's and what he what is. What about the Ba'ah here? did that come before? Uh, no, no, the Ba'ah, Rabbi Ben Akona, Rabbi was the Rebbe of one of the Rebbe's of Rebbe Akiva, at the same time, at the same Tukufu. Rabbi Ben Akona wrote the Ba'ah, and that's... <coughs> and Rabbi Chuni Ben Akona, he wrote the Bayer, and he was one of the uh, Rabbeim of the Rabbi Kiva, and Rabbi Shimon was a student, <coughs> you know. So, and Rabbi Chuni Ben Akona, by the way, was the biggest Makubal in that generation. So why do we celebrate him? Because he didn't write a Zohar. What's there to Zohar and a Because in order to write a Zohar, you have to be, be given permission. And that permission means the time is ready that the Jews can now ac- access the Kabbalah, wait, in that form. Oh, uh, well, you mean the buyer? Because uh, there's, there's no comparison between the Zoya and the buyer. The buyer is a short. Uh, uh, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the Zoya is the magnum opus of, of Kabbalah. You know, it's like, a, you know, that's the, it's the main text of Kabbalah.